Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, and I want to continue our discussion uh, of last week, last Sunday night, concerning the feeding of the 5,000. Now, you, you may think that you're part of a Sunday school class today, just minus the flannel graph, because everybody is so familiar with this miracle. I mean, this is maybe the premier miracle that we find in the New Testament because it's the only one of all the miracles that Jesus did that is mentioned in all four gospel accounts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about this particular miracle. And so it must have had a significant impact and there must be good lessons that we can learn from this. And I believe the greatest lesson that we learn here is that we cannot depend upon ourselves. Just as we are helpless to come to Christ for our salvation, that takes Holy Spirit power, so we are also powerless to live the Christian life. We need God's Spirit. We need to depend upon God all of the time. Now, in this day of personal empowerment, this is not the type of message that you'll usually hear because churches today preach self-help and self-motivation motivation and you may even hear something like this God helps those that help themselves and that's been repeated so often that people think that that must be a part of the sacred holy word of God but you're not going to find that in the Bible far more accurate is it is it to say that God helps those who cannot help themselves Jesus said without me ye can do nothing But there are people that are just insistent about this. I mean, in fact, the new gospel has been built around this very thing, that nobody wants to believe that they're helpless. And so people try to summon up their inner strength, something that's not really there. In fact, when we get into the 15th chapter of Matthew, we'll find that when you pull up what's on the inside and try to help yourself with that, you're only going to be further condemned. Because Jesus said all these evil things proceed out of your heart. But there is a way that people reach a a sense of inner fulfillment by, by helping themselves and they reach some sort of happiness. And you can be happy in your own skin, so to speak. And you can build yourself up to a level of pride in which you say, I don't need anybody but me. And then that degenerates into the humanistic idea, there is nobody but me. And that degenerates into, I don't care about anybody but me. And so you hear this all of the time, that the main thing that you need to do is to be true to yourself. You must, first of all, please yourself. So reach out, grab your dreams, do what you need to do. It's all about you. And so the whole system of the world, religion and everything else, is geared toward self, while we find that Jesus' teachings are always geared towards him and others. And the sacrifice, the selfless sacrifice of Christ on the cross is the demonstration of how Christ cared so much about other people. He abandoned self. He abandoned heaven to debase himself and come to this earth in human form. And he lived as a servant of others. And so every day his thoughts were thoughts of others. Now today as we continue this story, I want to show you how that Jesus did not teach the disciples that you need to do this all by yourself. You can do everything that you need to do if you just summon up that power, but rather we can't do it. There's nothing that a Christian can do unless he depends on the power of God. Now if you look at Matthew chapter 14, we'll stand once again as we read God's word. Matthew 14, beginning in verse number 14, 
And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children." Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. Open up our hearts to the message. Lord, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what I want to do first today, we're just going to move kind of quickly through the outline that we started last week and just mention the previous points uh, briefly. In this passage, we discovered first the compassion of Jesus. Verse number 14 says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And that's a demonstration of the thought that I gave you just a moment ago. You know, we can look at the many times in Matthew that Jesus taught about judgment and taught about the wrath of God. There are multiple instances where Jesus taught about hell and so there, there may be times when you come to church and, and you think, well, is there anything else in the Bible besides hell? I mean, Pastor Smith talks so much about this that I'm beginning to think that the only thing that God really wants to do is just beat me into the ground as far as he can. And that's where other passages of the Bible are so helpful to us because you need to consider what's written in the entire Word of God that there is nothing actually that accentuates the compassion of Jesus for people than his teachings on hell. Do you understand that? And that's because Jesus was willing to be beaten into the ground himself in order that you might be delivered from hell. Jesus was concerned about people. He looked over the multitudes of people that were without him, the, the sick and all of those, and the people that needed to have their hearts changed, their lives changed, and he had great compassion on them. He knew that they were going to hell, and that's why he came, to give this gospel to them. You see, Jesus never really needed to come down from heaven to heal people. He never needed to touch anybody to heal them. He ne- never needed to, to personally heal anybody. All of that, all of that could have been directly done from heaven. God could have just sent, uh, or just through the invisible power of the Holy Spirit, he could have healed all the people that he wanted to heal without coming to this earth. But it was that personal love for individuals. It was his personal love that it caused him to come down to this earth. And that's because we are the objects of his love, not just objects that God has created. And so we see the touches and the willingness to meet every need that we have, whether it's physical, spiritual, spiritual or emotional. All of those things are demonstrations of the kingdom that God one day will bring to this earth. And God wants to populate that kingdom. And so what he did was to 
develop a method by which the kingdom of God could grow exponentially, and that is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to give his life for sinners. Then we talked about the crowd for the miracle. Verse 21 says, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Now, I won't spend much time with this. 5,000 is the starting place for this, for the multitudes of people that were there. It wasn't unusual to number a crowd by, the, by counting the men that were present, but it's very clear by looking at Scripture here, there in verse number 21, that there was also a crowd of women that were there and crowds of, of children that were there so that this crowd probably swelled to numbers 15, 20,000 or even more. And here we find Jesus at the height of his popularity. There are thousands of people that are following him. Every movement that he made through Galilee was very closely watched. Scarcely a moment of peace for Jesus. And they all came because Jesus was this great walking hospital with guaranteed cures. And what he was about to do here would only intensify their desire for him because not only would he heal them, but he would also feed them. And what more could you ask? You have a, you have a free clinic and a free cafeteria. You can't hardly beat that. That brings us to, thirdly, the concern for food in verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals." So the crowd had followed Jesus to an out-of-the-way place. This was on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. There weren't many people living in that area. The Bible called it a desert place. And as I mentioned last week, that's not a desert like the Mojave that's dry and sparse in that way. But this was just not a place that was very much populated. And there weren't villages very close by that people could go into and buy food. And food was always a concern for these people. We don't think too much about food because it's so plentiful. But for those people in those days, how to get food was always a concern. And so that might help you to understand why Jesus taught earlier and said, take no thought for tomorrow. He says, don't worry about your food and your shelter and your clothing because the heavenly father already knows what you have need of. But that's what they always did. They were always thinking about tomorrow. That's because a meal today is no guarantee of a meal tomorrow. And so although they were religious and they said that they believed in God and they read the scriptures... They weren't people that lived by faith, and they didn't really understand the compassion that God has for people, that God does take care of us. Now, we're getting then to the part where the disciples, we're actually going to see their helplessness. They're saved, they have been called, they have been commissioned by Jesus, but there was nothing that they could do to help in this situation that there was no food. They couldn't do anything without him. I want you to hold your place there in Matthew and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And there's more detail given in John about the circumstances of this miracle. Now, as we read it there in Matthew 14, verse number 14 is at the beginning of the day. And then we skip right down to verse 15 of Matthew, where it is the end of the day. And in between those two times, we have more detail given about what happened. And we find that here in John, chapter 6. Verse number 1, 
It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there sat with the disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now there you see that Jesus knew the problem at the beginning of the day. Now at verse number 15 in Matthew, that's the end of the day. And Jesus had already tasked the disciples with finding a solution to the food problem. And so it was their job to figure out how all of these people were going to be fed because Jesus would spend the entire day there healing people and teaching them. He had a lesson for them to learn and also he had something here for the disciples to learn. Now number four is the calculations of the disciples. Now, upon hearing the question, Philip began to figure. He started to figure out, how much is it going to cost to feed these people? Now, remember, there's intervals of time between the verses, and I'm sure that Philip had gone to the other disciples to help him to work on this problem. And so they all began to figure out how many and how are we going to feed them. And so while Philip started his calculations, the disciples fanned out and they went through the crowds and they began to see how much food was on hand. Now, it seems kind of strange, but all of these people had followed Jesus out into this desolate place, a place where there's not a place to get food, and nobody thought to to pack a lunch. And so after going through that crowd of 15,000 people, Andrew came back with a report that the sum total of all that there was in the crowd was what a little boy had brought, and that was five little barley cakes. That's something like crackers and two small fish. Now, we would call those the hors d'oeuvres. He had five crackers and two sardines. So they found that in the crowd, and meanwhile, Philip, who is the human abacus, he's trying to figure up what's going, how much food would be needed, and we don't know what the total was. He just says 200 pennyworth is not enough to buy all the food that's required. And he probably threw out that number because what they had done was to check out all the resources that they had and his report is that 200 penny worth, which is about 200 days wages, that would not be enough to buy the food that was required to feed this entire crowd. So in other words, they're saying, we, we don't have the resources. We don't, we don't have what it takes. We, don't, we can't feed them. And so we go back to the book of Matthew, if you would, and it's at the end of the day, and the disciples have reached the solution to the problem, and now they're ready to report to Jesus. And this is in verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. So after all day working on the problem, the disciples' solution is send the crowd away. Now, can you stop for just a moment and think about that? Are are, are the disciples any less thick-headed than the crowd or the religious leaders? I mean, they'd been with Jesus all of this time, and they'd never seen one sick person sent away. They'd never seen one case of disease that he couldn't heal, 
They'd walked all over Galilee with him. They'd seen him raise people from the dead. He cast out demons. They'd seen him stand in the back of their boat and speak to a raging sea and calm a storm. And after all of that, their solution is send the people away. Send the people away from Jesus. And do you know it actually took the disciples a long time to get a grip on this, that Jesus can handle all things? Later in the 15th chapter, there was a Canaanite woman who who came to Jesus and asked him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And you know what the disciples said in that case? Send her away. She keeps crying after us. In the 19th chapter, there were little children that were brought to Jesus. And what did the disciples say? Send them away. Get them away from Jesus. Now, did you know, in effect, that is what is being taught in modern churches today? Get people away from Jesus? Now, I know that's not point, not, not point number one in the outline, that what you need to do is get away from Jesus, but what do they do? They propose all different solutions for people's problems. Look into the psychology of these things. Look, look at the way that we can help ourselves. There is some other answer to your problem, and they rarely, if ever, tell people what you need to do is you need to turn to Jesus to solve everything in your life. He can take care of everything that goes on in your lives. But you have churches now that are sending people to yoga classes. And, and to transcendental meditation. Try contemplative prayer. And that's one of the things sweeping the Christian world today. And all of that is nothing but old heresy packaged in a new movement, but it's just the same old Eastern mysticism that says there is power, but it's not in Jesus Christ. And you can find that power if you just look for it. But the point here is, isn't Jesus now and is, hasn't he always been the place that you go when you have problems, when you need something? You're not to look to yourself inwardly to see what's there, but we're to look outwardly to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he supplies. Now, we, we sing a song that begins, My help is in the Lord who gave himself for me. And we change that to, My help is in myself, the only one who counts. That's the song that we sing all the time. You would think that the disciples would say, no problem, no problem here. And they would say to Jesus, would you just send down a little bit of manna from heaven like you did before? Would you just send down food from heaven, bread from heaven like you did when you fed the Israelites when they needed food? But instead... As soon as Jesus asked the question, they were sent scurrying out looking for an answer in some other place. And finally, they said, there is no help here. There's no way to solve this. Send them away into the villages and let them buy food. Now, let's look at verse 16 and Jesus' reply. This is uh, kind of a shocker to them. And this is number five, is the command from Jesus. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. So the calculations have been done. The disciples have done their very best to figure this out. And Jesus said, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. Now, in our, in our English version, it really doesn't show how emphatic that this is in the original language because the emphasis is placed here on the word ye. Give ye them to eat. Or as we would say it, you. Y-O-U. You're the ones that need to feed these people. And that was just a stunning statement. 
And they're still not able to figure it out. They didn't say, well, Lord, uh, uh, we can't do it, but we know you can. No, instead they rely on resources, what they have, and they tell Jesus what they have in their possession is a confiscated lunch. Verse 17, and they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Now, they're still thinking and considering what can we do with what we have rather than what Jesus could do. And I think they sort of stared at him. And they looked at one another. Well, we haven't got anything. We, we, can, we can only feed one little boy. We can give his lunch back to him. And he said, no, don't give the lunch back to him. Give it to me. Now, you see, they're really stuck. First, they have next to nothing. Now they don't have anything. Just, just their last resource has been taken away. And even that resource was something given to them. And it's sort of reminiscent of what Paul says in, uh, to the Corinthian church when they were boasting about how great they were and talking about how great their spiritual gifts were. And that Corinthian church, there's nobody like us. There's, nobody has the spirit like we do. And they were each taking their turns talking about how great they were. The apostle Paul wrote to them and he said, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? In other words, he, he says to them, Big shots, who is it that made you what you are? Who gave you these gifts that you're boasting about? Who is it that makes you different from others? And so why are you boasting as if what you have came from inside of you? And why are you taking the credit as, as if you're so great and God's not the one who gave all things to you? Now, Jesus had just taken away the last that they had. They were, they were already hopeless to do anything. Now he strips them down of their last ounce of hope to fulfill his command even in the tiniest way. And so his intention was to teach them. And this, this is all future reference. I mean, this is all in the, in the learning process, the teaching process. And what he wants to show them here is that later on, when they get into their ministry, when they're out there in the world without him and they're trying to tell people about the gospel of Christ and they need their resources to do what they need to do, this is all future material to teach them that if they try to do things in their own power, that they will be as helpless as the day when he told them to feed 15,000 people. Now that's true of the individual Christian and it's also true of our church as a body. If we have anything in this ministry that we try to do by ourselves in our own power, then it's going to turn out to be a failure. I know what we can do. We can apply our human resources to our problems. We can put the human techniques into place. We can try to build a church with our abilities, but it won't be God's church, and it's not one that will be faithful to him. You just take a look at ministries that have been built by people instead of God. And you'll notice that in those churches, the doctrines of Christ begin to crumble one by one. And finally, you can't find Christ in the church at all. I mean, their doctrines don't match what Jesus said. The gospel is no longer preached. And what do you get instead? Just what we've said. You can do it. You have the power to do it. Try a little bit harder. Reach a little bit deeper. The force is in you. And so... The disciples have to be taught that if God's work is going to be done, God has to do it. And he may use you 
But there's not an ounce of the strength that comes from you to do God's work. So Jesus is about to give them a demonstration of divine power. He gave them all day to figure out the impossibility of feeding the people. And the best solution they could come up with is send the crowd away. And Jesus said, don't do that. Tell them to sit down. Tell them to sit down on the grass. Now, in Mark, the scripture says that the disciples sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And so I'm sure the disciples were thinking, what in the world for? Why are you splitting all these people up and telling them to sit down? Well, Jesus had a distribution plan in place. He already had this figured out. He had them sit down in sections with aisles between, like we have here in the church. They sat down like they were sitting in a football stadium. And the disciples would be the vendors that go up and down the aisles passing out the food. Now we come then to number 6, which is the creation of food. In verse 19, And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. This, this miracle is a tough one. I mean, I, I, I don't know the exact method of this miracle. At what place does the miracle actually take place? Now, Jesus, was, was he just standing there breaking and breaking and breaking and just endlessly tearing apart bread and, and there were just multiple thousands of pieces of bread and fish? There are 15,000 people. How long does he have to stand there to do that? Now, first of all, the, the five loaves and the two fish, that's, that's barely enough to feed the one little boy to satisfy his hunger. But the Scripture says they all were filled. So how many breaks does it take to feed 5,000 grown men, probably as many grown women, all these small children, and teenagers? And you know teenagers are a bottomless pit. How are you going to figure th- uh, fill them up? But the people just kept eating and they ate till they were full. How long would it take him to break all of that? Well, we might look at it that way. Or or then we might look at it this way, that Jesus broke a small amount and he put just a tiny little bit into each of those 12 baskets and then told the disciples, take it and go down through the aisles. And so they've got their little basket and they're looking in the bottom of that. And they say, he has got to be kidding. Look look at that. I mean, that's, that's... microscopic 12 baskets that have just a fragment of five little crackers and two little sardines in them he must be totally out of his mind to ask us to do this but as they pass down through the crowds they pass the basket down this row and somebody reaches in and grabs out what he wants all that he wants and it goes to the next person he reaches in and grabs out all he wants to the next one that's one of those teenagers both hands and takes all they want and that just keeps on going and going and going and it keeps passing it out and every time that they reach in there's something in the basket and they can get as much as they want that reminds us of the way it worked with the widow of Zarephath you remember her and how that she helped Elijah that she gave Elijah the last bit of food that she had, all that was in the barrel of meal, all that was in the cruise of oil, everything she gave to Elijah. And yet when she went back, she had meal in the barrel. And she had oil 
in the cruise of oil. She had all that she wanted every time that she went back. So maybe that's the method of the miracle. What Jesus did was to cause that food to multiply in each of the baskets as it went through the crowd. I don't know how he did it, but I do know this, that Jesus is God, and God made the whole world, by all the worlds, just by speaking the words, and he feeds the population of the entire world now. So I don't have any problems with the way that he did this miracle, whatever it might have been. Now, number seven is the completeness of the provision. And they did all, or they all did eat and were filled. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, I think one of the things that we can learn is we can take this and apply it to the gospel. And we would ask, did Jesus suffer enough to pay for all of our sins? Did he take care of all of that, or... Is there something left for us to do? Is there something that he hasn't supplied? Did he take all the penalty for our sins? Well, he said those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And so there ought not to be a, a person in this congregation today that would go away and say, well, you know, there was nothing in that church service for me. There was, there was nothing there for me to get out of that. And I would say to you that if you leave this hillside hungry, that you do it because you refuse to reach into the basket and to receive the provision. See, salvation is offered today, and if you come to Christ, you'll have exactly what you need. And how foolish is it for a person to, to, to set the, see the food pass in front of his nose, to smell the aroma and have his stomach gnawing for pain and not to take of what God has provided. Instead, they sit back and they blame God because there is a hell. Why is there a hell? And so he passes, Jesus passes heaven in front of you in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, and instead of partaking of that, people reach down and say, no, I'll pull up the grass and eat it. I'll pull up the dirt and eat that instead of the perfect provision that God has made in Jesus Christ. And I have to ask you, whose fault is that? Is that God's fault that you act that way? No, it's, it's our fault. And then you think about Christians. What, what's the lesson to be learned here for them? Well, we would ask, why do we always look like we're struggling? And why are we worried? Why are we pining away? Why are we trying to help ourselves with our pitiful resources? Jesus is looking after every one of his people just like he did those disciples. They were struggling with the problem all day and their minds could have been eased if they'd just done one thing. If in the beginning they had just said, Lord, there's just no way that we can do this and you're the only one who can. And that reminds me of Christians when it comes to giving. I mean, they won't give and you know why? Because they're afraid they won't get it back. Do I have to remind you that God is the one who gives us every breath that we breathe? If I have to remind you of that, then what I would suggest that you need to do is don't breathe. Hold that breath because you might not get another one. And then see how long that you live. Number eight is the collection after the meal. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. Now I know that If you've been a Christian very long, you've heard this text preached many, many times. I don't add any novelty here by saying, well, there were 12 baskets left over, and that's enough to give every disciple his own basket full. 
We've all heard that, and we, we know the application of that. But what, what if uh, we thought about it, you know, what, what if Jesus had acted just a little bit more slyly? Could he have taught the disciples a better lesson? I mean, after the people had been completely filled, they gather up all the fragments, and they had these 12 baskets, and the disciples each get a basket, and they look down into their basket, and you know what's in it? Five little crackers and two sardines. Think, wouldn't that have taught them a better lesson? Wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus say, I'll show you something, you fools. I'll teach you to trust in me. But he didn't do that. And I remind you what David said in the 23rd Psalm. He said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup is almost filled to the top. Maybe that's in the NIV. It's not in my scripture. It says, My cup runneth over. Paul wrote, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The disciples were more than a little thick-headed at times. And, and the best way to teach them a lesson about God's power is to show them what happens when you turn the little bit that you have over to him. What God does, he multiplies that in ways you can never imagine. And so he, I think he, he's teaching us uh, why do we want to look inwardly for resources when we have just that pittance, when we have so little, when we could actually take out of the storehouses of all that God has. Now, when you get down to the bottom of all of this, of all that you have, and in your helplessness, you look to Jesus and you say, what am I going to do? What, what can I do? I have no place to go but you. That's when you're ready to be used by him. When you say, I can't do it, but I know that you can, that's when he has you right where he wants you. And if you're in any other place, you are not in the will of God. Now, this is, this is just an amazing story from the first to the last. And one of the, one of the best parts is that Jesus shows us that he has the power to do everything without us, but he chooses to work with us. You know what he could have done? He could have stood above the Sea of Galilee, and he could have said, Fish, fly out of the sea. Land in the laps of these people. He might never have said to Philip, Go figure out how to feed the people. He might never have let Andrew find that lad's little lunch. There may have been no baskets to fill. There could have been no hands to pass them out. Jesus didn't need anybody to feed the crowd. And you know, likewise, he never needed any of us to save people. He could have sent angels to do everything he ever wanted to do. And they wouldn't, or God wouldn't have to put up with all of our stubbornness. There's not a holy angel that when, that when God calls, that the angel says, whoa, 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 I don't think so. I don't have enough time right now. Let me wait till a more convenient time, and then I'll take care of what you want. He could have called angels to do it, but he puts up with us because we are the objects of his redemptive purpose. He loved us, and he gave himself for us, and he blesses us by making us a part of the work that he does in his kingdom. And from that standpoint, from his standpoint, it would have been so much easier not to put up with imperfect, puny human beings. But what he did 
was to make us perfect in him. And he blesses us even more when we lend ourselves to that mighty power. Now, in the meantime, he has all the power that we need for life and godliness. And the sooner that we realize that we can't do it, the faster we'll see what he can do. Now, let me add something just to conclude the lessons that we've learned. We started out with the compassion of Jesus, and we've been working our way towards seeing what God can do in you and through you, how his power can be shown in you. And so we keep steering away from the idea of self-esteem and what we can do in ourselves and to realize that there is no power in us so that God will show us there's no room for us to glory in self. But we don't want to lose sight of that very first point that I gave you, and that is that Jesus was a person of compassion. He was selfless. Now, now forgetting about self-glory is just one part of this thing. Caring for other people is the other part. Here is a multitude of people that got fed. Now, for weeks on Sunday nights, we ended our services with the song, I Then Shall Live. And the second verse of that song begins, I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. And then the third verse ends, the bread of life, oh, may I share with honor, and may you feed a hungry world through me. And as I mentioned on many Sunday nights, the song has a double entendre, and that is that Christians need to show compassion for people in two ways, care about their needs, pray about them, help them, be kind to them, be considerate to them, and then care enough about people to give them bread from heaven. Give them the gospel and feed a hungry world with the only thing that will ever satisfy their souls. That is Jesus Christ himself. So the question for all of us today, everybody, have you given everything to Jesus? Have you turned everything over to him? Have you let him have everything that you have and let him take everything that you are? Have you done that? Well, when you do, you stand back and you watch what the Lord can do. Stand back and see what his mighty power can do, how much he can do if you just surrender everything to him. Give it all to him because he's the only one that can take care of our needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story that we read in your word, how that Jesus teaches us that we have to depend upon him. There is no power in self. We can't come to you in salvation unless we have been moved by the Holy Spirit of God, unless you speak to our hearts. We just don't have the ability to do anything. And then once we come, we ought not to think that we could live this life and carry on every day without every single day taking from your resources and this is why so many Christians live defeated lives and why we live as if there is so much trouble we can't make it through we just need to learn to turn everything over to you Lord I pray that your people would do this I ask you to speak to the hearts of people that there's someone here today that's lost and doesn't know you as savior help them to understand that there is no there is no place else to go. There, there is no place to turn. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the longing in our souls. He's the only one that can take care of that deep need that we have to be forgiven of all of our sins and made righteous in the sight of God. Lord, speak to someone's heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Zoals? 